freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Isaiah Washington, great to talk to you again. You and I, of course, met through Twitter, the hell site, the place that makes people come together to hate each other. And it's great to talk to you again. I thank you very much for for coming on to talk with me as my first ever guest as a member of the Coleman Nation. Did you get the pun? Or should I have to explain it? No, I like the culmination. Yeah, you see? I think I can get away <laughs> well, with that. Well, you know, as being an attorney, you know, I love words, being an actor. We want to make sure that the audience understand that we came together on Twitter, but we didn't come together to hate one another. <laughs> no, no, that's right. And it's not as if both of us haven't had plenty of DMs that have had some very salty suggestions in them from time uh, to time. Yeah. I know. I know. Is it is it is it Twitter uh, boring now? I mean, it's like it's. I mean, Trump really had it popping, man. It's like, like all the craziness is just has taken all the fun out of Twitter these days. It's gotten so serious. Well, you know, that, you know that's a good point. A lot of people have been telling me how much they miss Trump from Twitter, and I actually didn't follow Trump because anything he said that was important, I knew about. Fifty people who I follow were going to retweet it or otherwise embed it in a tweet. But I, I never really appreciated the, you know, I mean, we're, we're going down now, I think on Twitter, the discussions are much more, yeah, like you said, they're, they're, they're a little bit more serious and, a little, and, they're, and they're a lot more polite. I think we're getting a lot less ugliness, but it's also less interesting. Then again, they've also, you know, this is a topic you and I had discussed at great, at great length, and I hope we'll talk about it a little bit today. They've also gotten rid of a lot of the people with the most interesting opinions. Are you are, are you sure about that, Ron? Are, are you sure that that's the case? I'm, not, you know, I question that, and I question the legitimacy of us thinking that. When you say they have gotten rid of them, from from my um, perspective, I could be wrong, but I got the sense that. Most of the individuals that had an agenda or had skin in the game for their guy or their girl, and when they didn't get they what they wanted, then they were no longer interested. They need to go somewhere else or to some other platform to feed the beast, to feed what they want. And what I mean by that is that for, you know, my battles of being attacked by the so-called left and even some conservatives who didn't think I deserved to be in their space or had suffered enough, you know, for being a, a, a conservative, which means different things for different people that I've discovered in the last 20 months. My, 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 it's like, well, well, how can you be Jewish and be conservative? Or how can you be black and be conservative? Like, he like, 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 I didn't know it had all these, it's like, I mean, you know, tentacles of circumstance and levels and degrees of what I call just pure silliness. Uh, and, and political immaturity on a number of levels, um, which is is pretty hackneyed and pretty boring to me. But I stayed I stayed with it because there was certain narratives and 
I had an agenda as well. I wanted to continue to clear my name and use the fact that I too was canceled years ago because of the media and a lie. And if they could do that to me 15 years ago, and I'm seeing them doing it to the president of the United States today, then that was one of my main reasons. In addition to his policy, the First Step Act, which is what brought me to the forefront, but was more about really exposing the media and the hypocrisy than it was political for me, just to let you know. And we, and you know, we had a conversation about that. I wanted to hire you to see if we could really remove this curse on me. But you know, once you give up a meal culpa, the one thing I learned from that that former president and, and, and even Roy Kahn, his uh, his great uh, uh, mentor and lawyer in New York, is never apologize. Now I understand what that means because when you apologize, and that's the, that's a that's a bona fide meal culpa. That's an admittance of guilt, whether you did it or not. Well, not only that, it also takes away from you the ability. Well, as you said, it, 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 it takes it takes cards off the table and it gains you virtually nothing. And you learned nothing. That 14 years ago. All the apology does is is mean that it's like you, you're just saying uncle. But, right. but you're not saying no one. And this is actually one of the two bullet points that I wrote down for today. In the extremely unlikely event that you and I stop running out of things to talk about. One of the two bullet points that I wrote down today was there's no allowing and all of a sudden i'm we're seeing in the last couple of weeks a lot of people on the left super interested in this topic no allowing for the possibility of growth and development and repentance and maturing by people so we go into you know we go back to people's college yearbooks and their high school yearbooks and stuff they said in tweets or rather in in texts from you know when they were teenagers but before we jump into that endlessly deep pool. I just want to close the loop on something that, that you, a point that you just made, which I think is an important one. You said, Ron, maybe it's not as many people getting kicked off now as people who are just jumping off because the political rock and roll for the moment is largely over and it's a different game now. And it's not as, the issues are not as hot and, as, and not as, as dramatic as they were during the election. And I, I think you, you make a very important point. A lot of my friends, a lot of the people who amplified me for a long time uh, and who aren't necessarily, weren't necessarily on Twitter under their own names, uh, but who had very well-known personas, uh, well, some of those were definitely thrown off, but a lot of them have gone to these sort of to, to these alternatives to Twitter. And I'm very involved with one of them, CloudHub. It's, it's much, it's still working its way up, up the, uh, the curve of development, but the, the ones like Parler that, that have been out there for a long time and Gab, which I used to be involved with also, what you find there is that it's just a lot of the same people listening to each other say the same things. And, it, and it's not, it's just not interesting. And that's why you say, you know, if you want to clear your name, or if you want to communicate a message that's not the official message, going to a place where everybody knows your name, so to speak, like like the, the Cheers bar, is not going to do that because everyone there is cool with you. In fact, even if you are a bad guy, they're cool with you because you're one of their bad guys. Right. Now you said, now to come back to, to, the, to the other point, you said something about, you know, you, I mentioned this idea of growth. You know, you apologized for this supposed slur, 
which you later clarified both to me and a number of press reports, was not as it was reported at the time, but nonetheless, it seemed to you a, a good political investment for you in your career to say uncle, say it was you and hopefully put it behind you. But you're not Joyce Reed, are you? She didn't even apologize. She just got hacked. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, she was hacked. Yeah, right. They, they, they hardly ever apologize. I think what I've learned the most about what happened to me is that it's just business. Uh, even the president who didn't renew my contract, I wasn't fired, knew that it wasn't a good idea for me, it wasn't a good idea for the show at the time. But it saved a lot of money. A lot of people saved a lot of money, so they thought. And it's just business, right? And, and I did survive. You know, I am still working. And what, what I've learned out of that is that I've, be, I've become more of an independent uh, producer, producer, which now I've learned how I can create content like Isaiah Washington's uh, Kitchen Talk, which did very well on Fox Nation. Uh, they didn't order a season two, but it doesn't matter because I have content out there that I that technically I own that brand which was giving me an advice by the very man that was forced to not redo my contract with another very powerful brand that's been out there for over 16, 17 years. So in, in my point is, when I was talking about Braveheart, that there's a lot of good things that come out of a lot of bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. No, you're right. And that's, that's a great point. Although, I mean, if you told me, so then I went on, now that I had the independence to be the man that I wanted to be and to take the positions I wanted to take and to, and, and to project the persona that is the real Isaiah Washington. I did a cooking show. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 own the title, trademarked. It, it belongs to me. So wherever I find another home, be it Fox Nation or wherever, I own it. And ownership and independence is is to me the the very basis of what I thought and what I, I uh, presume what conservatism was all about, right? It's building that. So what I found throughout this election process and various debates and conversations and just straight out nastiness was that people seem to be more interested on both sides of the fence to spread their, their animus and spread their, their, their rage and, and, and not really participate in a viable economical solution to the very things and policies they say they wanted. Now, what I mean by that, if that was true, then how do some people considerably possibly be duped into thinking that there's a tyrannical government, which we can say that it looks like one, right? But when people actually supposedly are moving on that, according to the Constitution, then people go, hey, that's not who we are. Right. So, <laughs> so you know what I want to suggest to you? Maybe what we actually find is that just as you said a minute ago, it's actually all about business. This is also about business. We, you know, in, in, the, in the field of economics, there's a concept called rent seeking. And the idea in rent seeking is basically what, you know, everyone is looking to, it's like a game of Monopoly. Everyone is looking to occupy property and require other people to pay them to pass through. It's a, you know, it's like trolling through all of life. And what we have found in the last couple of decades is that 
you have these people like these scam artists, the Lincoln Project, who their entire existence is about that generating that kind of hate and, and enmity that you're talking about, which is it seems entirely negative and entirely unproductive, but it made millionaires out of the guys who own it. And to them, it's just a business. It's just a business. So what do we do about that? Well, it's like I said, going back to uh, the, the the 13th, 14th century, and even the age of samurai, which I've been watching on Netflix, the battle of Japan and watching Braveheart and that the Kings say, I have this thing called prima, prima facte, which means all nobles get to have sexual relationships with, you know, the peasants, the Scots, uh, married wife. Uh, and in an attempt to, we can't get rid of these dirty Scots, but then we're gonna intermingle and breed, we'll rape and kill and pillage them and then breed them away. I think overall, uh, there has been a group of, of human beings with a mindset of superiority at the time. And whatever they say is the rule of law, it should be the rule of law of the land based on their point of view, based on their bloodline, based on a number of hypocritical things. Right, but it's really based on their power. That's, it's, it's nothing but their power. Bottom line, it doesn't make it legitimate power. It doesn't make it a power that should be uh, uh, looked upon as something that should be revered and repeated. It's just something that powerful people continue to do until they no longer have that power, right? And in this country, if we divide the world a little artificially, but not so not so madly into two political parties, which is the political party that gets that? You asking me that question? Yep. Yep. Oh, oh come on. I know it's a softball. <laughs> You're not that old. In fact, you and I are almost exactly the same age. I did, right. I did a little bit of research today, even though you look much, much older. Than <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I forgot. I, I did buy to be your first or your last. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you this one. Well, from from my observation, let me let me say this, you know, um, more of a background on me. My protest vote was very controversial in 2016 because I voted for Vice President Juma Baraka and Jill Stein, knowing that they didn't have a hen's basket in hell of a chance of winning. But at the time, I was so and have been so disgusted by the negativity of the mainstream media and how at the time Roger Stone and Bannon were pushing this what looked like very bigoted and racist uh, platform uh, uh, that would give you this feeling of white supremacists, whatever that means. Uh, at the time, I just saw through it all because I've been through it all. And I was, it was so negative. I didn't see anything that had anything remotely talked about policy, all right? Also, the, the whole, the part of politics and politics is popular policy. So when are we gonna talk about, oh, what are you gonna do for the American people? What are you gonna change for our infrastructure? I never saw that. So I made the news along with Susan Sarandon and Oliver Stone from, I was in Newsweek and for being the, I was the villain in 2016 and was blamed for Trump being elected because I didn't give Hillary Clinton my vote. Now, to get further closer to the idea of me being part of the Green Party, always been probably more of a centrist uh, at heart than anything, but even that has become dangerous as generations and, and mainstream media has really changed the minds and hearts of people by social engineering. So to answer your question, I dare say, is that I think many people have successfully created a, a uniparty and exposed a uniparty that's based fundamentally on the bottom line. 
And you have to decide on whose side you're on. It's like surfing. You're either going to get some good glass, you're going to get that way if you're going to hit it, or you're going to really tank, you're going to get hit slammed, and you're going to end up at the bottom. And it's going to take a while for you to you know, get up as you're looking up over and see all this foamy, foamy, foamy over your head, trying to figure out what's the best time to actually, you know, uh, shoot to the top so you can breathe. Well, this is actually a fascinating answer because you you answered outside of the box because I thought the softball I was throwing you was for you to say that the Democrats understand that it's about getting power and keeping it and destroying your enemies. But what you're saying is, Ron, that might look like that's what the Democrats, but when you realize how many Republicans are based on what happened last fall and in January, were in on it. Then all of a sudden you start looking at a Jill Stein. What's, of course, what's the punchline here? Jill Stein did all those recounts, obviously for Hillary. I don't. I never quite understood what the payoff was, but they weren't for Jill Stein. She was doing the recounts to find out if she won. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's cor- that's correct. And so so it's kind of like uh, that wag the dog situation. It's like who's writing the script this time? I knew that going in, and you know, and I participated in the madness, of course. But at the end of the day. Uh, I, I was in the military during the Reagan years, and I, I remember the propaganda every year from 1981 to 85 in Stars and Stripes magazine. Every year, every day, single day, the Russians were coming. We had to prepare for a Russian attack every day that was beaten in our heads. Meanwhile, we were doing things that had absolutely nothing to do with protecting the American people from, from the Russians, but everything to actually build our own individual wealth and, and, and pensions and proclivities all around the country. You know, uh, I talk about that on my podcast, you know, where I break that down of all the nefarious things that I was a part of as a teenager, a young teenager in the military. So once I understood the hypocrisy of it all and that it is, it is, it is a lie, but it's a very expensive lie, a very important lie. And for those of us who actually get on the outside of that lie, and begin to speak truth, boy, be prepared to have your head taken off because you're costing entities money. And it's just not going to happen in any political party, uh, you know, anywhere in the world. I, I personally don't believe that, you know, according out of the Roman period, I haven't seen democracy really, really work in its purest form. What I would prefer if I were in charge, I would prefer more of a meritocracy. Um, and because right now we're getting really close to something that's really a technocracy. It's like we're not, where is the democratic process and where has it been? Well, no system is pure capitalist or pure progressive, pure anything, because you never know what's in the medicine cabinet of the leader that's in charge at the time. <laughs> the medicine cabinet. In this case, we got, I got some pretty, uh, pretty good ideas that he doesn't know what's in the medicine cabinet. <laughs> but let me, but see, so now you're talking about you know, the big picture over history. I want to quote to you a tweet. On March 19th, you got very philosophical on Twitter. Oh, okay. I, Twitter won't even let me go back that far on my <laughs> own PC. <laughs> and it says, America has been successfully divided since 1865, end of the Civil War. You know it, and I know it. Yes, that's recent. That's recent. Quote, they, <laughs> they, and earlier in this conversation, you, you, we both used the term they. They have made trillions off this fact, and we, scare quotes, good citizens have not have still prevailed, not as suckers, but as real, hardworking, flawed, and beautiful, God-loving, family-loving people. Hashtag truthdom. All right, buddy. Who is the they? Let's start out there. 
again, any individual that is vying for ultimate power, be it through uh, entertainment industry, uh, military, uh, law enforcement, um, any individual that feels that the only way that they can get by, the only way that they can sustain themselves is having ultimate power of others. Ah, so it's not some some static group. It's a mindset. It's a it's a kind of person. It's it's a it's a mindset, and, and I dare say I've written a book about it. It's a DNA. DNA I own this term. DNA hashtag DNA has memory. If you if you go on Twitter and look at the hashtag DNA has memory, then you can really understand where that philosophy was coming from. Or what I'm really saying is. Those who share that DNA, I believe that DNA, if you were a son of a bitch 500 years ago <laughs> or, or, or a thief 500 years ago or a whore 500 years ago, nine times out of 10, you're going to be a son of a bitch or a thief or a whore or all above. You know, one of the greatest rabbis in our tradition, in my tradition, is what was Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. And, and he said that it is easier to learn the entire Talmud than to change one character flaw. It is almost, you, you really are, it's hard baked. You know, the fact is we're obligated nonetheless, we're obligated nonetheless to make every effort to improve ourselves and to be as decent as possible, to recognize what are our limitations and what are, are, the, what are the, the tough points for us. And that's why we get married. But first thing that happens is we restrict ourselves to certain limitations in order to, to be a better person. Well, that's, 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 and that's what it's called self-control. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And that's the and that's the first place most of us encounter it. Although you were in the military, so you probably got a little bit first. More discipline. We fail. You're, you're supposed to fail because you're human. But the goal of self-realization ultimately is that acknowledging what your limitations and your flaws are and hope that you can seek a betterment. You know what I mean? Um, and that's a number of ways you can do that. How long did it take you to figure this out about what the, the DNA memory, as you call it, DNA remembers? DNA? Uh, well, well, it started with my mentor, Harry Poe, back in 86. And he gave me his philosophy of becoming an actor. It says, first thing you have to do to become, to have people believe you as someone who's making believe, playing pretend. First, you have to bring about the person, understand who the individual is, all the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. You have to be honest with yourself. How can you pretend to be something else that's fiction if you're telling a lie to yourself every day? So the, the, the way I had to become an actor, all, the way of the actor was I had to first bring about the person, then bring about the artist, which is supposed to be curious about everything, not just acting, but architecture, mathematics, science, you know, because you never know what you're going to play. Stop. I'm stopping you. Okay. You're making it sound like actors are intellectuals and people who look into their spiritual truth and who are interested about the world. And in fact, what we really know is that even very good actors are absolute schmucks. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is that how about- how you went about it. This is me. <laughs> right. That's because you're, and that's why you're a better actor than that. I, I, I'm, an act, I'm an actor lad. You have to you have to develop the human being, the person first. If you are a horrible human being that is has no interest in art and only the bottom line, and you're just playing yourself, and that becomes popular because the machine gets you to fall in love with that character or those 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 that persona. Uh, that persona 
then you get to make millions and millions of dollars and be a piece of crap, right? What, what I was taught is that you have to deal with a holistic approach of being the best human being you could be. So once you understand and appreciate art, which is our job is to, you know, uh, society and humanity is supposed to be preserved, right? Remembered and uh, documented uh, through art, right? That's how I was trained. Now, I just happened to become an, an actor. I sculpt, I play musician. I'm a musician as well. I play drums. I play a little bit of harmonica and I play a little bit of trumpet. Uh, I try to be a full-rounded artist and be curious about a number of things. But what the business, this show business, has done for over 80 years has only been interested in selling personas that are only interested or could be made interesting to make money. And I've never, me, okay, as a human being, I never fit in that business model. Never. One, I didn't want to. Two, I resisted. Three, I don't like being around schmucks. <laughs> I can't fake it, I can't fake it. I can't even fake that. I'm a hell of an actor, but I can't fake being around bad people. I don't like them. <laughs> I just can't do it. I refuse. <laughs> so Isaiah, you, you're telling me you, you're you're not like the other guys. You're not like a cookie cutter. You're not. You don't want to spend your life being surrounded by schmucks. Sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a very familiar story. But unlike unlike me who you seem to have, I mean, I have, I've had my, you know, I've defined things in my own ways as well, but you are, you seem to really be very much in the driver's seat. You're over, you had a very good run for a number of years. Was it because you wanted it more? Was it because you've got those that great black vocal cords that I, you know, I'm, I'm a tenor. I can never sound, you know, <laughs> what is it? Why, why do you think you pulled it off? Or was it, was it, you know, something your parents taught you what, you know, um, I, I, you know, I, I guess, you know, you know, John Amos was one of my mentors early on in my career. We did a play fences together, the Capitol Rep Theater in upstate New York. And John Amos is, is the is the actor who left who left good times because he, he, he was tired of basically watching Jimmy Walker play this ridiculous black parody. Exactly. And he paid a penalty for that. Now, imagine the, the men that I've gravitated to uh, has been the John Amos's, the, the Melvin Van Peebles and, and you know, the Clint, Clint Eastwoods and, and the, the, the Sidney Poitiers and, and Diane Carroll. Those have been my mentors over the last 25 years. So they have poured into me the injustices of, of, of and, and Ruby D and Ossie Davis. So they sort of passed the torch on to me is that, you know, be that prince, be that 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 beautiful human being that you are. That is what the world needs. They, we don't need another knucklehead on the stage. You, you know what I mean? We don't, we, we got enough of those. So, but there's a penalty for that because I was told by John Davis that, you know, your power, your presence is going to make the schmucks very insecure. They're not going to want you around, not because of just your ethnicity, but just because of your truth. Uh, you're probably not going to be naughty the way they want to be naughty. You're a private person. You have a family. You're not going to want to do the the the, the origin, not just the physical, literal orgies, but you're not a you're not an orgy kind of guy. You know, 
you, you, you don't seem like you're into orgies. You know, you don't, you don't, you, you don't fit in with the, with the, the, the artists of Dionysus. You're not, you, you don't, you don't, you don't look like you'd be turned on putting on a mask and a cool suit and everyone be naughty. Uh, so if you and I thought I turned every invitation to the Playboy Mansion I got from Hennessy, uh, Martel, Cognac, they wanted me hard for five years in a row. Everybody that that's my peers that are working today all went. Everyone that went very well that participated in that today are making a lot of money and have made a lot of money in certain places. I chose not to. I chose not to go when a particular mayor was in a mayor in an office in Atlanta to go to those kind of eyed wide shut kind of parties where I put on the tuxedo and the mask and go to the malls. I said no. I've said no to many things. I said no to a guy from Recover Metrics who was representing Senator Biden, who when I was doing my work in Sierra Leone, I said, we were earmark here your company for $5 million, if you kind of walk us through and show us where, you know, the hardest wood, you know, the war in Sierra Leone wasn't about blood diamonds. It was about the hardest wood in the world comes out of Sierra Leone and Liberia. All those, those, those hotels sitting up floating in water on those pillars in Bora Bora and all over the French Polynesia that doesn't, that doesn't rot. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it's out of Liberia. It's about the wood. So, but you know, blood wood is not sexy. So you had to come up with a term, blood diamonds. Yeah, that's what it's about. No, the diamonds just fuel the expense to get the uh, weapons and the drugs to keep the kids, the child soldiers uh, uh, controlled from the Eastern Bloc and from Russia, from all over the place and all the other oligarchs that wanted to get lots and lots of money and in the certain markets that want to control the diamonds from New York to Russia and everywhere else. I mean, the open, I got so close to re revealing certain things that I had to sit right there in the beers in New York with the open hybrids, you know, uh, the open hybrids. So you, so you had, you knew the lay of the land in Sierra Leone. You, if you, you could have, they, they backed up this dump truck full of a uh, thousand dollar bills and said, just put, tell us where to drop it. Isaiah, you just need to spend a couple of weeks with us telling us what we have to do and we'll worry about how we have to do it. And you said, no, no. And, and I'm okay with that, Ron. I'm okay with that. I, I, on my podcast, I talk about, well, we wouldn't be talking if you weren't okay yeah, with that. Yeah. You wouldn't have hooked up with me. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the bad things that I've done in my life, I still pay in karma off for certain choices. I believe certain things don't happen for me. And I see where certain things happen. It's like, Oh, that's when I did that. Or oh, that's when I said uh. that. You know, that's why that's not happening because I said that and, oh, I was over there or I was being spirited over there. I can see I'm still paying my karma off for certain things and that's okay, okay? That's part of self-realization. But the good thing that I do have, I can protect myself in a number of ways. I can be lethal in a number of ways, but I don't prefer it. You know, I, I consider myself like a Ronin, you know, I, a Bushido. It's like, I'm like the guy that will be prepared to fight evil but I've never started a fight in my life. I know how to end them. As you know, on Twitter, I'm not afraid to fight, <laughs> but I, I've never started it. It's always like, I would have to be, a, it's always been about, for me and for humanity, it's always been about self-defense. So I'm like water. I could be very still if you don't trouble me. You know what I mean? 
Uh, but what if, I know what you mean yeah. only because I've seen it. I've never experienced it yeah. unless I'm on a lot of Ritalin, but I understand <laughs> it must be like to sit very still. <laughs> that's no, but that, that's, that's a, funny. I will tell you this much. <laughs> Ritalin. No, but you know, in my but in my work, the equivalent of that is the question that you don't ask of a witness on the stand, or or the the the, the silence, the extra beat before that you let something sink into the ears of the juror. Uh, before you ask the next question, that that is a you know there is a real power in silence and, and a, the ability to say no, which is something that okay here it comes, we're both men in our upper fifties, the younger people don't seem to understand the ability to say no is the greatest power. I you know I have a son who is a um, a rabbi on the west coast, and he teaches. You're an actress, you'll appreciate this. He I used to I used to be in radio. Uh, and it, I, I was listening to recordings of him teaching classes that he records mostly as a, not for whatever reasons he, he puts, he, up, he uploads them. And I was noticing that he had ticks that he would say in order to, while he was thinking, he would say, right, right, oh. right. <laughs> I said, I, I said, I tell you what, why don't you try and next time you want to say, right, just be quiet because you can still think and you'll actually increase you think I can't be quiet because my people are going to look out the window. No, when you're quiet, that's when they focus in on you. Saying no or not making the sound of the dog that didn't bark. I think that's something that guys our age begin to appreciate in a way that we didn't when we were younger. Would you agree? Well, I hate to leave you alone on this one, but um, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've been this guy since I was 23 years old. When I when I got out of the military and I read two books, the autobiography of Malcolm X and G. Gordon Lilly, Liddy's book, who's, who didn't talk, Will. Will. I read them uh, practically simultaneously. I would like put one down and pick up the other. But those are two guys who would have really liked hanging out together. I, I thought, I think so. And In a way, two yeah. different worlds. So when I saw Again, but they both had their eyes on the prize, right? The the lay of the land of mm -hmm. government politics of how things work at that age. I did at 23. All I read was Robert Lutlum and Danielle Steele and, and, and Tom Clancy books in the military. So I wanted to be a 20 year veteran and, and a general Washington and, and become an astronaut at the time. Right. So I just whatever I fell in love with, that's all I care to read about. But once I woke up. I realized at 23, Ron, I didn't know who Malcolm X was. I didn't know who Richard Wright was. I didn't know who James Baldwin was. I knew who, I knew Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, Jack Robinson, because those are the pictures they had up on my kindergarten wall, you know, <laughs> when I was a child. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew, right. I knew what the public school wanted me to know. And then when 23, when I realized how ignorant I was, man, I was pissed off. 23. That's the answer, Isaiah. That's the answer to my earlier question. That's why you made it. You figured it out at 23, and it took me about another 23 years later than it did you. Mm. I don't think anyone can stop us from talking, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go <laughs> okay. uh, today. You've been extremely generous with your time. You and I can always, always, we always do, but it's been great having you on, and I really appreciate it. And you're, you know, great seeing a guy who's got it figured out. He's in the driver's seat. He does, he says what he means and he means what he says. And I thank you very much for, for coming on today.
And I appreciate it, Ben. And I'm, I'm glad the universe brought me in as your first one. I'll always be your first one. <laughs> you always will. In so, so many ways. Great talking to you, Isaiah. Thanks. Okay, Ron. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.